Hey gorgeous, this is episode number 229 and the amazing Danny Innie is back on the show today. Hi, this is Danny Innie and you're listening to the Heart Cells podcast with Christine Schlonsky. Enjoy! Well, I'm so super pumped to have another conversation with Danny Innie. We talked about Teach Your Gift in the last episode. And of course, we are going to continue our wonderful conversation. And this time we will discuss the world of online courses. Danny is the founder and CEO of the online business education company Miracy, whose work on strategy training won special recognition from Fast Company as a world changing idea. Danny has spoken at institutions like Yale University and organizations like Google, and he is the author of multiple best-selling books about online education. He's been featured in the Harvard Business Review and Entrepreneur, and he contributes regularly to publications, including Inc., Forbes, and Business Insider. And of course, he is contributing to the world with his wonderful gift about teaching your gift. So enjoy the next episode where we talk about the world of online courses. Well, I'm so super excited to have you back on the show, Danny. Welcome. I am thrilled to be back. It's been so long since we got to talk. I know. <laughs> so I just enjoyed our last conversation so much, um, talking about your new book that I already have the privilege to have it on my desk and it just comes out. So I'm, I'm the lucky one that already had the opportunity to read a little bit in it. And I just love how you teach with that, you know, being authentic, putting the data in place for people to understand what, what kind of, what the best way is to really create something of meaning and valuable for other people. Um, because, you know, there are people out there that teach online courses and then there are people out there that teach online courses and there is a big difference. So can we talk about it a little bit right now? If I hear this episode and I think, it, you know, I wanted to create a course for a long time or maybe I feel the urge that right now I need to create a course to get my business moving or to get my business from offline to online what are questions in the sales process when I'm purchasing that I need to know so I know that I have a really great quality course teaching me how to build a course? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and, you know, the, the short and somewhat facetious answer, but also true is that, you know, we'll just go to teacher, teacher get, see, now I'm stumbling over it. Um, well, just go to teachergiftbook.com and get my book and all the information is there and that'll guide you to the next step and all that. Um, but it, it's an important question to ask because, you know, the number of people promising to teach you how to make money with online courses has just exploded over the last few years. Like when I started, I won't say that I was the only game in town, but like there were, there were not a lot of people out there teaching what I teach or operating in the arena in which I operate. And these days, like you can't open a browser window without bumping into someone who's like, I've made $5 online once from an online course, so I can teach you how to do it too. And I guess this is what happens whenever an opportunity gets hot, right? Like, you know, you, you, when you see a crowded marketplace, it tells you that there's a lot of demand for the market. And that's certainly the case. Um, but it also means that there are a lot of people out there um, teaching about this world of online courses 
not because they have a, a lengthy and extensive background in it, not because they've studied and worked in it, not because they've had um, you know, repeated successes, not because they've helped a lot of people get to success, but because they're looking at it, they're like, a lot of people seem to want to pay for learning how to create an online course. I want to cash in on that. Right. And there is a very big difference between, you know, I have created an online course and made some money once and I'm an expert in this area. Just like, you know, if you've put in a light bulb in your house, that doesn't make you an electrician. Right. Can you put in a light bulb in somebody else's house? Maybe. Sure. But you shouldn't be teaching a course on, on home, home, home electric wiring. Right. So it's kind of the same thing. So, you know, as, as someone approaches the idea of like, okay, I've decided that an online course is something important for me in my business. I've decided that I want to explore and pursue this and I want to do well. I want to hedge my bets. I want to get help. Um, how do I choose from the multitude of, of, you know, so-called experts out there who are promising to help me do this? And um, you, you can't go by the testimonials on their website because everyone has those, right? Like, you know, what I tell my students is that, you know, if you have a bell curve, so there is like a, a two or three or 4% of students who are going to be successful no matter what. Like, it doesn't matter how much your course sucks, you're, they will be successful because they're going to be successful anyway. And then on the other end of the bell curve, you've got two or three or 4% of students where it doesn't matter how good the course is. You could get on a plane, fly to their house, hold their hand, do the work for them. They still will not be successful. There's just nothing you can do. This is very frustrating to, to dedicated teachers. But the 90% of students in the middle of that bell curve, those are the ones that you're building a course to really help. They're the ones who need your help. Now, that said, if you have a bit of an audience in the online business world and you, you know, do a launch, you get a few hundred people into your course, then there will be enough people in that top two or three or 4% that you'll have your case studies. You'll have your testimonials. So saying, oh, look, this person launched their course, this person made lots of money. It's, it's good to see those. But what you really want to know is how representative is that? And so you want to do a few things. You want to ask yourself, first of all, how long has this person been teaching about this space? Right. Did they just come to it? Have they launched their course once or twice or have they been doing it for a long time? Do they have a track record of success for their students? Do you want to look at their methodology and ask yourself, does it make sense? Right. Like, you know, presumably the people who are listening to this, you're, you're a smart person. Right. So use your brain and ask yourself what they're saying are the, are the steps. Does it make sense? Does it fit together in my head? You want to ask yourself when I get to the parts that are hard, when I get stuck. And it's not if it's when. Because anything hard to do will involve challenges sooner or later. What is the support that will be there for me? Right? Is there a coach who will work with me? Is it really a coach or is it a help desk in um, somewhere in the developing world where the person barely speaks English and they don't really have the skills to support me? Right? Will there be real guidance and support? Will there be one-on-one -on -one answers to my questions? Or is the quote-unquote coaching a group call with 800 people that happens twice a month? Right? What is the support that will help me get to the finish line? And what are the outcomes that they are accountable to deliver? Um, and here I'm talking about guarantees. You know, this is something that I think about a lot um, at my organization. We think about guarantees a lot. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand what guarantees are really for. They think about it from a marketing or sales perspective that you know, a guarantee is a tool of risk reversal. And it does have that function. But in a broader business sense, a guarantee is a tool of alignment. It's about getting your whole organization aligned around the outcomes that you're accountable to deliver. 
right? When people enroll in our course building courses, we guarantee that they will successfully launch their course and make a certain amount of money, recoup their investment, et cetera. And I do that. Yes, it takes away risk on the part of my customers. But really, the reason I do that is that everyone who works for me is crystal clear on what it is that we're accountable to deliver, right? There's no, there's no fuzzy area there. And so, you know, whenever I see a course that's like, you know, we are so confident you'll be successful that if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back, right? Or if you do the work and you still don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Well, you know, you liking it is a very low bar. Right? They're counting on the fact that people will sign up, there'll be low completion rates, not everyone will go through it. Like, I want to know, what are you accountable to deliver? And that is a question that you should ask anyone that you're thinking about learning from. What are you accountable to deliver and what kind of support and guidance and help will you put on the table to help me achieve those outcomes? Mm. Yeah, that, these are really great, helpful questions and probably often overlooked because, you know, Sometimes you just get drawn into a really great sales process and it's maybe even a shiny object and then it's so easy to say yes, but then you get stuck with whatever you bought. And I'm, you know, I have done a couple great deals like this <laughs> for we myself. All have. <laughs> we all have. And uh, then you wonder, you know, what, what made you say yes. And it's, it's just interesting to see it from the other side as a customer, not just the person who who is selling it. And, you know, with, with your track record, I, I mean, it's yeah so, so impressive of where you were able to take your company. It's just a really good, how do you say, like a, like a foundation that everybody who thinks about online courses and, you know, before we even met, I, I knew your name because other people were telling me, well, if you ever think about an online course, you, you need to talk to Danny or you need to check out what they have. And then we got to meet and now I, I read your book and it's just, everything is just in alignment for what you just said. And I think that's really important, especially in, in our days and where online is sometimes a little bit like wild west. You can just throw something at the internet and people might buy it, but really having a clarity of what you should be asking before you sign up. I think it's really supportive for people. Mm-hmm. So t- like, tell us- here's, I guess, here's the biggest challenge. Um, the biggest challenge is that it's very easy on the internet to make claims, right? And smart marketers know exactly what people want because, you know, marketing is essentially an exercise in empathy. It's an, uh, an exercise in understanding what's in somebody's heart and mind that they're thinking about. So if you understand that and you can speak to that, you can promise them exactly what they want. The challenge is that you can make promises that are not backed up by anything in the online world. And, and you know, that's why you want to look at kind of what's in the fine print, what is going to go under the hood. But you know, that's what makes sales, you know, if you do it well, it, it's not hard because you're promising people exactly what they want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's always two people who come to an agreement. So mm-hmm. if the marketer promised this one thing, it's obviously the obligation of the person buying to really check what they are getting themselves into. Of course. And and I feel that sometimes these promises like get over, you know, get rich quick, overnight success uh, really draws in a lot of people, but the delivery is just not there. Mm-hmm. So when, when we go way, way back before you started your endeavor, before you uh, dropped out of high school with 15 
what was the very first thing that you've ever sold? Um, so the first entrepreneurial experience that I remember is when I was 12 years old. Um, and uh, I got a, my parents would give me a $2 allowance to buy lunch at the school cafeteria. And the thing that I liked on the cafeteria menu cost $3. And so I was like, well, where am I going to come up with the extra dollar to, to solve this problem? And they sold sodas for a dollar, and my friend would get a soda. And they had Coke, and they had Sprite, and whatever. But he liked cream soda, which they didn't have. And I figured out that I could go to Costco, and I could get a tray of, like, you know, 24 of them for, for like, five bucks. So I could get them, like, very, very cheaply. And I could sell him a can of cream soda for a dollar, the same dollar he was going to spend elsewhere. And it didn't occur to me that this was like an entrepreneurial thing. I was just like, I was just solving a problem to get that extra dollar so I could get the spaghetti and meat sauce that I wanted. And what was funny is like other people would be like, how are you doing this? You're taking advantage of your friend. And I was like, but why? He's, he's paying the dollar he was going to pay anyway, but now he's getting what he actually wants. Yeah. Like what's the disconnect? And it's interesting, this like um, weird cynicism that some people have around entrepreneurship, which is fundamentally just about solving problems. Totally. Yeah, I love that. So how did you get your five bucks if you only had a two buck uh, allowance? <laughs> well, I, need, I needed three. So um, I, I guess that's a good question. I guess I probably had like, you know, money saved up from something. So I was able to, to get yeah. those trays. And now that I think about it, I have a sneaking suspicion that my parents might have bought those trays for me. Well, that's okay. I, I, I still, I always love to have this conversation to see what what kind of ideas did people have when they grew up, mm -hmm. right? Were they, were they born with their entrepreneurial gene? Were they always kind of confident in putting something out and asking for money? So obviously you, you solved your challenge with, you know, creating the extra dollar so you could have what you wanted for lunch. How, how did it feel when it worked for the first time that your friend gave you the dollar? Do you remember I don't. It was a very non, like, yeah. it was a non-issue. It was just like, hey, how about, like, you know, it, it, just like whenever you're, it, it's kind of like, uh, I, I imagine, you know, if you've got a bunch of people and they're thinking, where should we go for dinner? And someone says, how about Italian? Someone says, how about Chinese? Someone says, how about whatever? And, you know, you offer something and everyone says, yeah, that would work. So it was kind of like that. I'm trying to think about how am I going to, how am I get that dollar? It's like, well, how about this? And he said, yes. And I was like, great, that works. <laughs> like it, it, <laughs> I, it, I didn't see myself as being a budding entrepreneur. I was just solving a problem. Yeah. <laughs> And a very pressing problem, right? Because, you know, <laughs> lunch comes around lunch. quite often. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was going to have to, I was going to have to eat the, the, the not so yummy sandwich. <laughs> Cool. I just love that. So, and what was the first product then you, you went in, into business with? Because you, you dropped out of high school when you were 15. And what did you do then? Uh, so that's a good story. So, um, so, so as a little bit of context, you know, growing up, I was um, this like nerdy goody two shoes, teacher's pet kind of kid, you know, perfect grades, have my homework done before I go home. Like I was that kid. And um, that lasted until about the end of the eighth grade. Then I go into the ninth grade and it's like a switch flipped in my head. And I'm just sitting there in class. And I'm thinking, I am so unbelievably bored. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> and so I cut, I cut class and I came back the next day. I was like, they're still talking about the same thing. <laughs> They haven't moved. And so I cut more classes and 
one thing led to another and I'm, I'm a, I don't do things halfway. I'm a bit of an extreme personality. So in the first trimester of the ninth grade, I missed 152 classes and the number kept going up. And this went on for about a year and a half. And then, you know, in the middle of the 10th grade, I kind of look at myself in the mirror and I say, Danny, what are you doing? Like, what's the plan? Are, are you really going to just keep cutting classes and going to the gym and watching MTV for, for four more years? Like, you need a plan. And so I decided to quit school and start a business because that would be a thing to do with my time. And I figured I would sell uh, websites. I would build website services um, because I knew HTML. And anyone who's listening to this who knows what HTML is knows that knowing HTML does not mean you know how to build websites. But I didn't know that at the time. And so, you know, I start going door to door. I'm knocking on like the, the doors of the shops in my neighborhood. And I go in and I talk to the person at the store and I say, do your, does, your, does your store need a website? And I was so young and inexperienced and naive, I didn't even realize that the person who is a clerk at the store is not the person who makes that decision. So I spend a couple of months doing this. I never get anywhere. And one day I'm sitting at home uh, with a friend of mine. And we're playing one of these educational video games with his sister, who's like seven years old. And he looks at the screen, he points to it, and he says, you know, this game is pretty simple. I'll bet you could build a game like this. And I tell him, you know, I'll bet I could. I don't know why. I had none of the skills to actually do it. But I'm like, I'll bet I could. So we find the box for the game. This is back when software came in like boxes. I find the company information. I call them up. I get a meeting with the CEO. And this is one of those things that like, now that I'm thinking about it back, it's like, how did I get a meeting with the CEO? But at the time, it didn't occur to me that it was a big deal. So I have no idea. But so I walk into this meeting and I tell him, um, I have a business proposition for you. I think I can build the games that you sell. And uh, my mom has a degree in psychology. I tell him I've conferred with a psychologist. And I've come to the conclusion that if you really want kids to benefit, like they should be playing games and having fun and learning in the background. They shouldn't be doing like math exercises on the screen. And what he could have said was, no kidding, I've been doing this for 10 years, get out of my office. But instead of that, he opens a drawer, he pulls out a document, he goes foof, he blows on it, and this cloud of dust flies off it. And he says, this is a script that I wrote for a game eight years ago. How about if you build it and we'll sell it? And I tell him, absolutely, that sounds great. And he asks me, what are you going to build it in? And I had no technical skills whatsoever. But I had a friend who knew Visual Basic, so I thought maybe he'd teach me. So I tell him, um, I'm going to build it in Visual Basic. And he says, isn't that like reinventing the wheel? Why don't you build it in Director? So I say to him, look, if we're going to be working together, of course I need to adapt to your business practices. So I will build it in Director. So we shake hands, I leave his office, I go home, I open up my computer and I type into Google, which was brand new, I type in, what is Director? And so the, the first uh, thing that I sold that I made money doing was um, in, in parallel with building this game, I did like contract development work for this uh, educational technology uh, company. What a great story. So fun. And I mean, just, just thinking back, like everybody probably remembers when they were 15, 16, like that comes with a lot of insecurity. <laughs> I mean, that's a typical age where you're figuring out things and uh, you took action, <laughs> pretty cool action, and uh, you succeeded, right? And that's, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing. Well, thank you for thank you for asking. You know, it, it's funny because it is an age where there's a lot of you know discomfort and insecurity, but it's also an age where there's a lot of like 
naivete and obliviousness. Yes. <laughs> so like now in hindsight, I'm like, there are a bunch of things in this story, which is like, wow, it's impressive that I did that. But none of it felt impressive at the time. It was just like the logical next step. Of course, that's what I would do next. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I remember when I started my job in high ticket event sales over the phone, I was told that I had to talk to the decision maker. So, and in Germany, you have to put who the decision maker is on your website, right? So you have the CEO or owner of the company, like you have like the highest person is on the website. So it's easy mm -hmm. to figure out. <laughs> so I remember that for the first product or the second product I sold, you know, I called at Siemens, the CEO. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, obviously they didn't put me through, but I got to talk to another like person that was really high up the ladder. And I told my boss, I was like, well, they wouldn't put me through. Like, what, what could I do? And he was like, well, who did you call? And I told him and his chin dropped. He's <laughs> like, you told me to talk to the decision maker. So it's just fun because if you don't know better, <laughs> mm -hmm. then you, you know, you can just do it and you know, maybe he would have even picked up the phone. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, and, it, and you know, fun. there's wherever you are in your business, there, there are advantages going for you. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if you're young and you're just starting out, right, lean into that because, you know, everyone wants to help people who are young and starting out. Right. Like, you know, I get approached every day by people who want things, but, and, and you know, I did, there are just more, more people reaching out than I can help. But, you know, I've never had someone reach out and say, I'm a student, I'm in school, I'm, I'm a kid, I'm trying to figure this out, can you help? I've never said no, because, you know, do you really want to be the guy who, like, crushes a kid's dreams? No, of course not, right? When you, when you walk by, like, a, an eight-year-old on the street with a lemonade stand, you know the lemonade is going to be terrible, but you still buy it because you want to you help. Yeah. So whatever, you know, some people are young and just starting out. Some people have a shared background of someone they want to support. You, you want to find what is the angle where it's like they're going to want to, they're, they're going to want to help you succeed. Yeah, I love that. I, I, it seems like you were grown with like the teacher's gene. <laughs> well, it's, right? it's very much a personality. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, people ask me sometimes how I attribute most of my success to being a good teacher. Right. You know, I'm 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 good at marketing. I'm good at sales. I'm, I'm a good uh, strategist. But most of it is because I'm a good teacher. Like I'm I'm good at seeing a bunch of stuff and seeing the pattern and getting excited about it. I, I was the kid who would come home from kindergarten and be like, look, mommy, let me tell you what I did at school today. <laughs> right. I was that kid. And, and I'm still kind of that kid. Yeah, I, I just love that, how that shines through. And it's such a wonderful gift because you can influence in such a positive way and impact so many other people. Because if, if you, you are able to explain what or how to teach or have a, have a strategy teaching, like lots of people have great knowledge, but they can't teach. Or they don't, they're not Absolutely. patient. And if you don't get it the first time they explain something, then they lose their patience. Well, so, so I can share something that'll help for a lot of people, right? Because this is challenging because, you know, cursive knowledge and it's super obvious to you and you don't realize why people aren't connecting the dots. But, you know, when I work with people on helping them create great courses in terms of like great quality of instruction, quality of educational learning experience, um, they're often very focused on like, am I telling good stories? Is the delivery right? Am I, am I presenting well? And all of that is valuable, but none of it's the most important thing. The most important thing to creating a compelling educational experience is scaffolding. And scaffolding is based on the idea that knowledge is built on top of 
itself, right? And so, you know, usually where people kind of fall down in their creation of courses is not that they don't explain well what they're trying to teach, is that they're presupposing prerequisite knowledge that isn't there. Yes. Right. So, so a good illustration of this is, let's say, if I were to say um, that uh, reforming higher education is my white whale, right? Some of the people listening to this podcast will understand what that means, and some people won't. And whether you understand it or not has nothing to do with how smart you are or how educated you are. It only has to do with whether you know the story of Moby Dick, because it's a reference to that. Right? So if, you, if I'm presupposing that you know the story of Moby Dick and I'm wrong, then I just tried to communicate something that didn't get across at all. So when you think about this is what I'm going to teach, ask yourself, in order for them to understand this, what do they need to know, understand, and believe? And then ask yourself, is it reasonable for me to assume that every person that I'm teaching actually knows and understands and believes those things? Or do I need to speak to them first? Yeah, this is such a valuable advice. Um, I run into that quite often where I'm amazed and how basic I need to start in explaining something because often I think like, well, I just assume that they know, but they don't, which mm -hmm. is obviously not a good start. <laughs> yeah, and so, it's hard because it's obvious to us, like you yes. as the expert, of course, it's obvious to you. If, if it wasn't obvious to you, you wouldn't be the expert. Yeah, good point. Yeah, but I, I have to remind myself on a regular basis that I just need to, you know, turn it down a little bit and get to the fundamental first, to the basics, so that when we are on the same page, then we can start building. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, you're going to lose your listener or your student to confusion. Yep. <laughs> so, awesome. And you, you, you've written it down so beautifully in your new book, Teach Your Gift, and people can have a look at teachyourgift.com where you also will have like great promotional. Yep. Actually, teachyourgiftbook.com. Teachyourgiftbook.com. We don't want to forget that. Um, I'm going to make sure I put it in the show notes. So it's just awesome. one click, <laughs> click away. And um, yeah, so um, is there anything you would love to leave us with? I, I just leave everyone listening to this with, um, I, I want to encourage you to think about what is the gift that you have that is valuable to teach to others because, you know, as we alluded to in our previous conversation, this is a very special moment in history, right? Everyone is working online all of a sudden. Everyone's looking online for how do they do things that they formerly had to do in person. And this is just an opportunity where they are looking for you to teach what you have to teach to, to help them learn and grow. And it's also an opportunity for you to, to kind of jump in on that opportunity and create something really meaningful for yourself. So it, just now is the time. Yeah. I, I love how you looked at opportunity, not at obstacles, right? There, there's so many opportunities right now, possibilities that you can create with the right mindset and by doing the work. It's, it's really an interesting and beautiful time because now you get to do things that you probably didn't do before. You're kind for of sure, for sure. forced and, in a nice way. And that doesn't take away from the real tragedy of what's going on in the world. I mean, it's a very hard time for a lot of people. Definitely. But, you know, we, we need to feel those feelings, but then we need to move towards productive action. Yes. And the reality is that if you look at crisis throughout history, right? In times of crisis, fortunes are made and fortunes are lost. Mm. But fortunes don't usually stay the way they are. 
right? So nobody gets the, the privilege of being able to say, I'm just going to sit this out. I'm just going to wait for this to pass and then go back to regular life, yeah. right? You, you kind of have to choose. Are you going to let this crisis happen to you, right? In terms of, you know, all the, the knock-on effects and, and impact, or am I going to be proactive and think about how I adapt and evolve? And I don't mean that to sound callous. Like a lot of people are affected by circumstances dramatically beyond their control and they're in need of help. But especially in challenging times, it's incumbent on us to do what we can to come out ahead so that we can help others. You know, after 9-11, um, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, you know, of the, of the TV show, yeah. he had just retired. So he went back on the air and he did a special show and he told people that when things look terrible out in the world, they should look for the helpers. And this has been quoted a lot um, whenever times are really tough, right? Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers. And in this re-quoting and retelling, there's something really important about that that gets lost, which is that he was talking to children, right? Children should look for the helpers. Adults should be the helpers. Yes. And so it's, it's on us to be proactive and take the steps we need to help others because if we have that luxury, that's what the world needs us to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to come back to the beginning where you talked about in the last episode about your story, right? How the first company kind of blew up in your face and that was tragic, but you dealt with it. And like looking back, it was something that you probably would say was even good because something beautiful came out of it. And right now people are in tragedy and it looks really, really bad. But if you take action, something good will come out of it. Yeah. Like we can't determine, we can't change how good or how bad the situation is. We can only influence whether good or bad things come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much, Danny, for sharing your gift <laughs> with us today. And teachyourgiftbook.com is the right page to go and have a look. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing so much, for giving such great advice. Um, I'm sure the audience will just love it because everybody looks forward to giving more of their gifts. And an online course is such an amazing way to do that. So thank you so much. Christine, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and privilege. Well, again, what a fun episode with Danny Innie. I just love going deep and really also un to understand what do I need to ask as a consumer? How can I make sure that my investment is in good hands and that I really get served from the heart by uh, signing up for an online course, for example? So I really hope you had some fun with Teach Your Gift and the world of online classes with the amazing Danny Innie. Hop on over to christineschlonski.com, find the podcast tab. There are the show notes, the transcripts, all the links to Danny are just one click away and I'm also going to link his amazing books as for you as a resource and um, yeah his wonderful gift so you can check that out and once you're over there don't forget to sign up for the sales mentality makeover masterclass number four it's already number four with amazing speakers like Sharon Lecter like Susie Carter like Cindy Padilla like David Newman Ian Altman who has also been on the show here Wendy Weiss and once you're over there, don't forget to sign up for the Sales Mentality Makeover Masterclass. We are going to go 
live with the interview May 18th with amazing speakers like Sharon Lecter, David Newman, who has been on the show here, as well as Wendy Wise and Ian Altman. Uh, we also have Cindy Carter as a speaker, Cindy Padilla, the amazing Sigrun. So it's just over 25 absolutely outstanding experts. It's just over 25 absolutely outstanding experts, influencers, authorities in the market to support you in your sales game and to give you spiritual and practical steps to increase your sales and create true wealth without losing your authenticity. So it's all from the heart. Make sure you are signing up. It is a free online event. So we will be going live each and every day from May 18th, the whole week up to May 24th. And it will give you everyday speakers that teach sales, mindset, money, and wealth creation. And I can't wait to support you with these amazing teachings in your business and in your life. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day wherever you are in this beautiful world. And I'm saying bye for now.